It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love. In times where everyone is so divided, how can we be a good neighbor? Feeling all of his mysteries and making everything as plain as day. And if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I own to the poor, or even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. They talk of light, but I don't know light. I felt the warmth of the sun on my eyes, but my life is darkness. My life is one of loneliness. I hear people talk about the beauty of creation. I hear people talk about sunrises and sunsets. But I see nothing but darkness. I've been told on the day of my birth that my parents, as excited as they were, began to wonder, began to worry. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be hold. I wanted to be held. But I don't see. I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to see the joy of God's creation. I wonder what it's like to see the beauty of colors, of rainbows, of rain. I think the hardest thing for me is to recognize that as much as I want to be loved, I'm told that because I cannot see the biggest desire that I have is to be loved and accepted and I'm told that because of nothing that I've done there's a God and that God doesn't want me. I'm told that because I can't see I'm a sinner and that I'll never be loved by God, I'll never be accepted by Him.
What drives my heart even more is I'm told that as much as I love my parents, because I can't see, they too are sinners. And the people that should know God and love God are telling me and them that there's no hope. So most of my days I get up, I go out to the marketplace and I find where I'm supposed to sit and I hold out my hand hoping for someone to show me mercy and grace. Much of my life is just mere subsistence. I can hear often people talking, being loved, and joyous sound, and as they come to me, I see them quiet down. I can sense that they, they move away because I'm unclean to them. Sometimes people I can feel reluctantly drop something in my, my hand to help me subside, to help me live. But I know they don't want anything to do with me. I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to be loved. I wonder what it's like to know a God who shows mercy and grace. I remember the day. I remember the day it was like any other. People were going to the marketplace, people were busy, people were moving to the synagogue. And reluctantly I got up to just try to subside through one more day. Knowing that my life was hopeless, knowing that my eternal destiny was one of destitution and desolation. And then I felt his hands. I felt his touch. This man moved close to me. I heard him spit on the ground and then there was this cool feeling on my eyes. He rubbed something into them. I'm told it was mud. And that day I wondered, that day I wondered, could there be love? Could there be mercy and grace? He spoke to me kindly. He spoke to me gently. He spoke to me in a way like I've never heard anyone speak before. This was the first time that I had hope that possibly, indeed, there was love, there was mercy, and there was grace. And perhaps, just perhaps, there was a God. He told me to go and wash in the pool of Shalom, and so I did, and as I dipped my eyes and my hands into the water, I looked up and I was just shocked. <laughs> Something happened. The next thing I knew, darkness became light and I could see. I looked and my hand was in front of me. It had color, it had feeling, it had texture. I looked around and I saw and people were everywhere. And I said, could there be hope? Could there be mercy and grace? Could there be life? Could this be? I was exalted and there was jubilation and I was filled with joy. But interestingly enough, 
even though all I could say is, I don't know what occurred. This man came and put mud on my eyes, and he told me, and I looked up, and I could see. I could. That's all I know. But then those that should love me most, those that should be a joy for the fact that I could see, told me that because of some technicality, because of the way that, that, that it occurred, because of some religious regulation, because of some mold that they had made, that my sight, my hope, my love, my mercy, my grace, my connection possibly to this man that they called Jesus, was wrong. And so those that should love me most because of what they thought was religion. They turned me away. They said, you're not good enough to be here. We know what's best because you don't meet our mold because you don't meet what we think you should do. They told me to leave and never come back again. Everybody, it's very exciting to have you here at Faith Bible Church. A little bit nervous about my acting skills there, but I hope that that tells you the story that we're going to look at this morning. I wonder what this blind man felt. I wonder what his life was like. I wonder if perhaps that's just a brief picture of what he might have felt throughout his life and the day that Jesus came to heal the man born blind. I wonder what he felt when he felt that jubilation of being able to see, perhaps being included in society, but more important, being loved by people, and most important, being loved by God. But I also wonder what he felt after having had that jubilation, to have the place that should love him the most, the place that should be excited about the fact that indeed someone who was beyond hope now had it because they had an encounter with Jesus was cast aside because of mere regulation, a technicality, or because he didn't fit the religious mold that the church expected. Friends, this morning as we continue in our neighborhood series, I ask that you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. And my prayer is this, is in my meager attempt of acting, I've told the story of what we're about to see. This morning, we're going to be asking a question, which is simply this. As a family of faith, how do we love that neighbor who appears to be beyond hope? Interestingly enough, this story here, first and foremost, theologically, I want to make sure you recognize, is the example of Jesus' ability to heal, demonstrating indeed that he is the Son of Man, as well as the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Maker of heaven and earth. And he's demonstrating theologically that through him being present, he is moving forward to fulfill the law and essentially usher in mercy and grace through his death and resurrection from the grave. But this morning, I want us to take a look. I want us to turn our eyes. I want to turn our hearts to that man born blind. 
I hope and I pray that through that time that we could sense his hopelessness. Because in his culture, in the world around him, he was a second-class citizen. He was overlooked. In fact, people thought that because of what had happened to him, that God was upset with him and that he was a sinner. And not only that he was a sinner, that perhaps his parents were sinners too. And because of religious legalism, individuals moved to a point where they rejected who Christ was, but not only did they reject Christ, they rejected this man born blind who had an amazing encounter, encounter with Jesus. Friends, this morning, I want to take a minute, and as we ask this question as a family of faith, how do we love that neighbor who appears to be beyond hope? We look and we think, well, we don't do that, do we? And lovingly, what I want to tell you is simply this. Oftentimes, whether knowingly or unknowingly, we set up religious expectations in our lives and think that in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, in order to be part of this church, you have to look a certain way, act a certain way, and talk a certain way. We look at people, we look at maybe how they're living their life or some things that might have happened to them, and we just cast them aside and we say, they're beyond hope. They're blind. There's no way that they will ever be able to be a believer. Or worse yet, we look and we say, hey, you know what? It's all about mercy and grace. That's awesome. I'm glad that you had an encounter with Jesus. Now, to become part of Faith Bible Church, you need to vote this way, talk this way, act this way, look this way, and definitely beyond hope, you've got to be a skier and a Broncos fan. And if you aren't, then we're going to cast you aside. We're going to push you aside because in order to be part of this family, in order to be part of God's church, you need to fit the mold of the expectations that we have. Friends, this story is one that is beautifully gut-wrenching. It's a beautiful story about the hope of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story about how Christ engages, but it's also a tragic story about those that should be as close to God are the ones who are actually rejecting Him and giving this individual no aspect of hope. The joy of the story is, is we recognize that it ends with Christ going back to this man born blind who now sees and who just is saying, I don't know what happened, but what I can tell you is that this man touched me and he put mud on my eyes. I went and washed in the pool and now I can see. And those who should know God best continue to say that that can occur. But I can see, the man says. And then they say, well, even though you can see, because of the way that it was done, because it happened on the Sabbath, because that man worked on the Sabbath, he and you are cast away. We talk and we say, well, we're not legalistic. We, we don't set up those rules. Friends, 
I love this church, and I love that we encourage people in mercy and grace, but I want to ask a very simple question. Check our hearts. Are there areas in which we say, well, you can be part of this church if you look this way or if you talk this way, but if you're different here or if you're different there, then we don't want anything to do with you. I want to take a minute, and obviously there's 41 verses in here, and that's why I acted out this story. We're not going to specifically look at all of them. But as we pick up in chapter uh, 9, verse 1, we see Jesus healing a man born blind, and it says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Interestingly enough, the disciples are just asking a very culturally ingrained question. For us, we're looking and we're saying, well, gosh, that's really extreme. But in Jesus' day, particularly among the Jews of the day, if you were someone who was not blessed, if you were someone who had a compromised situation, such as being born blind, it was automatically assumed that the reason that that occurred is because either you or your family had sinned. We don't ingrain those things in our culture, do we? One of the things that I want to show you in a minute is this, as we look particularly at verses 1 through 12, and we can look to loving our neighbor that appears to be beyond hope. The first thing that I want to show you is this, always look at someone's brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory. What a beautiful story, because in Jesus' day, that individual who was blind was beyond hope. They were cast aside. Forget about that person. And sometimes I wonder if we look at individuals in our world and we just say, you know what, they're beyond hope. There's just no way. But let's turn our hearts and say, perhaps, rather than looking at someone's brokenness in a way that they're beyond hope, maybe it's an opportunity for God to get the glory. Jesus continues and he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends who are gathered here, sometimes those individuals who are the most hopeless are the ones who bring the greatest glory to God. Father, let's remember the man whom we call Paul was once Saul. The man who was the greatest antagonist to the Christian faith became the greatest advocate of it, all to the glory of God. And so friends, before we cast someone aside because they don't fit a mold, because they don't fit the cultural expectation, because they don't fit what we think they should be, may we love them with mercy and grace as Christ has loved them as well. Jesus continues on and he talks about just how he is going to engage this person. We see, particularly in verse 6, having talked to them, he goes to this man, he spits on the ground, and made some uh, mud with his saliva and put it in the, man, uh, in the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. This pool is essentially just an area in the kind of the central part of the town where uh, people would go and draw water. They would go and perhaps uh, get a cold drink, whatever it might be. But it was very central in its location. 
And interestingly enough, this man does so, and the next thing we know, he can see. I think Jesus moves forward in mercy and grace. He looks at this man and he says, that's the man that I want to touch. That's the man who's going to have a heart for me. And so, friends, we look and we think about if someone is beyond hope, we need to look at someone's brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory. But the reason that this man gets the glory and, 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 and sees who God is and then gives glory back to God is because of Jesus' mercy and grace. And what I want to ask all of us here is, is, aren't we all blind? And how do we see? We see simply because of the mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here's my quote of the day. We freely receive mercy and grace, don't we? We live free in mercy and grace. Friends, when we're in Christ and we've been saved, we can live free in the mercy and the grace of God, and it's a joyous thing. But therefore, may we freely give mercy and grace. Nothing will destroy a church more than when we put up expectations to one's salvation. When we put up qualifications in order to be a believer. Friends, I remind you, that's the whole point of the book of Galatians. We freely receive mercy and grace, and may we live free in that mercy and grace, but then may we freely give that mercy and grace to others. P.S., by the way, if that should get on Pinterest, that would be wonderful. That's a joke, by the way. Do we do that? Particularly to those neighbors who appear to be beyond hope. Particularly to those who don't fit our mold. Particularly those for who might be the exact opposite of what we are or we believe we should be. Always look at someone's brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory. Jesus says so himself. Friends, there might be a neighbor right now in your life. It might be the person living next door to you. It might be a person who's working with you. It might be a person who you interact with regularly. It might be an individual in your family. And you're looking at them and you're saying, they're beyond hope. And rather than thinking that way, may I lovingly encourage you to say, you know what, this is an amazing opportunity for God to get the glory. And so we continue on and we see in the next part of this story another way that we can look and help someone who appears to be beyond hope is not only looking at their brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory, but not allowing religion and legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus. We continue on in this story in verses 13 through 17. And what we see is this, that this, this man who was born blind has now been touched by Jesus and sees, and all he is doing is telling the truth. He says, I don't know, but what I can tell you is this man touched me, he put mud on my eyes, he told me to go wash in this pool, and now I can see. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind, 
Now on the day which Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, as I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the man blind. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. Friends, may we not allow religion and legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus. Interestingly enough, what I want to encourage you in this morning is that the Pharisees are looking, and they're looking at Jesus, and they're calling him on a technicality because no work was to be done on the Sabbath. You are not allowed to perform any sense of work. And interestingly enough, what they had done was they had taken the law, which was good, but they had put additional stipulations on the law to make them feel more righteous before God so that in their sin, they could disguise their sin and appear more righteous before others. They added to the law to make them feel more holy. And here's how they did it. In Jesus' day, they looked, and number one, you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And this is what they did. They extrapolated the fact that Jesus spat on the ground and made mud to kneading dough. And because he needed dough, and that was a command that you couldn't do, therefore he performed work, because either that dough would be used for food, or that dough would become clay, and somehow that clay would become a brick, and somehow that brick would be put on a building, and therefore it was work. Crazy, isn't it? But that's what they believed. We don't do those things, do we? We don't add additional stipulations to someone's salvation. We don't cast them aside because they don't fit our mold, do we? You see, the people who were closest or should have been closest to God, who thought they were closest to God, as we will discover, who thought they saw, they were the ones who were indeed spiritually blind. And so, friends, lovingly, I ask us today, even though we see, we must ask ourselves a very deep question. Even though we see the creation of God, even though we are blessed beyond measure to see the sunrise, lovingly, I ask you, spiritually, have you seen the sun rise? May we not allow religion and legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus. Friends, there might be someone who is beyond hope. There might be someone that we look and we say there is no way. And somehow, some way, through the power of Jesus, they might come forward and say, you know what? God touched me. And Father, in that, I pray that we wouldn't look at them and say, okay, well, before we recognize this, let's qualify it that we would say, praise God, 
for your sight, and may we love you in the mercy and grace that God has given. David Paul Tripp says this about the effects of religion and legalism blinding us to the power of Jesus. He says, human legalism leads to a human self-righteousness. Human self-righteousness denies the need for the saving, enabling grace of Christ. Human righteousness embraces the cruelest of Satan's lies that a person can be righteous by keeping the law. If that were true, there would have been no need for the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Friends, how do we help someone who appears to be beyond hope? May we look to someone's brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory. And may we also not allow religion and legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus. But then also, I encourage you in this, do not allow fear of the expectations of others to rob us from the love of Jesus. The story continues as we see, and this man who was born blind can now see, and he's just telling the truth. And the Pharisees move forward, and they essentially look at him and say, we want to know why. And he tells them the truth, and they say, that can't be, and because you worked on the Sabbath, that man who healed you and you are not of God. And so what do they do? We continue on in verse 18, and they continue to drive their religion, their religious expectation, to a point that even though they think they see, they become all the much more blind. The Jews still did not believe, I'm sorry, I'm in verse 18 if you guys are picking up here. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say he was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son. Don't miss this. I want to... I Dive into that in just a minute. We know that he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how can he see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. Now, please hear me on this. This is speculation. Okay? So this isn't gospel. But I wonder... I wonder what was felt by the parents and by the son when that occurred. I don't know the relationship of the parents and the child, but my guess is, is even though he might have been loved, even though they might have desired this child, I guarantee you that because he was born blind, they looked at him differently. They looked at him as lesser. And at some point, I guarantee you, they resented that child because that child was the reason that they were too cast aside from the church because they were culturally sinners as well. Watch the response. And, and, and this is just me being curious. Our son sees. My, my son, whom I love, now sees. Praise God for it. That's what I thought the response should be. 
But notice the coldness of this response. We know, and watch this, he is our son. Not, that is my child. We know he is our son. And the reason that they are doing that, we discover in a moment in this story, is because they're fearful of the church. And if they vie for their child, if they vie for his validity, if they vie indeed that God could do these things, they would be the ones who were expelled from this culturally legalistic church. And so what do they do? Rather than loving the gift that God gives Rather than engaging and saying, this is my son, and he sees, they say, we don't want to be kicked out of the church, and we're fearful that we might be, so go ask him. We continue in the story, And we see this, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Friends, we don't live in that day, but my question to you is simply this. Is there someone out there in your life who is a difficult neighbor, who might be beyond hope? whom you're wanting to reach out to, but culturally you're afraid that if you go and you reach out to that individual in the area that they are, where they live, how they look, what they do, that the church would look at you differently and say, what in the world were you doing with him or her? And lovingly, I tell you this, but with all force in my breath, that is a lie from the pit of hell. I would delight in the fact that someone comes and says, what in the world were you doing with that person? What were you in the world were you doing over there? What were in the world were you doing at that place? And if you came and you said, I was loving people for Jesus, I would tell you, praise God. Because of his mercy and grace. Praise God that you're not afraid of what the church might think. Praise God that you're not afraid of what it might look like. Praise God of what it might not do to how your religious expectations might be damaged by going to someone who desperately feels like they are beyond hope. Friends, don't allow the fear of expectations of others to rob you of the love of Jesus. Go love people for Jesus. Go be Jesus. We continue on in another way that we can love that neighbor that's beyond hope is not allowing, or is, is first and foremost looking to someone's brokenness as an opportunity for God to get the glory. Not allowing religion and legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus and not allowing the fear of expectations of others to rob us of the love of Jesus. But then also not allowing your religious expectations to grow you to the point that you cast someone aside. We continue on in verses 24 through 30 of this story. 
A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. You're wrong. You're not right. Give glory to God. And the irony in here is, again, those who think that they see and can see physically are the ones who end up being the ones who are spiritually blind. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love this part. Because sometimes the other thing I want you to see in this is when someone comes to Jesus, and, 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 I, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm guilty of it as a pastor. You want to like check them theologically for a minute. Okay, what Jesus did you come to, et cetera, et cetera. And please, I'm not belittling the importance of doctrine. Okay? Doctrine in the church is extremely important. But notice this. Okay? Hey, he's like... I, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I, 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 you know, all I can tell you is he's somebody who touched me, I was blind, and now I see. When someone first comes to Christ, right, it's a joyous time, it's a joyous experience, but they're a babe in Christ, for lack of a better word. They don't know everything. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about the Trinity. I don't know about, you know, uh, salvation per se. I, I know that I'm saved, but I, I don't know all the books of the Bible. Uh, I kind of know that maybe there's an Old and a New Testament, right? Now, praise God, over time, Lord willing, they learn, they grow, they grow in the fruit of the Spirit, etc., etc. But let's not belittle someone when they just say, look, I just, Jesus touched me. I know that I struggled here, and, and now I, I want to live for Christ. Praise God for it. And so they continue on. And they say this. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, but you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? What an amazing question. I can't imagine the religious anger and pride that those individuals must have felt. Who are you, oh blind person beyond hope who now says he can see, but because of what we know and what we think, your sight, even though you're saying it is, isn't right because it was done on the Sabbath, and that man who made mud broke the Sabbath by making clay and building a building. So therefore, you and him are sinners. Don't tell us, and certainly we aren't going to be his disciples. What happens in the next verse? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. 
you don't know where he comes from. Yet all I can tell you is that man opened my eyes. Let that sink in for a minute. May we not allow our religious expectations grow us to the point that we cast someone aside. We continue in the story, and notice that I put dot, 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 and the reason that we cast someone aside is because they don't fit your, and this is very purposeful in the word, contrived religious mold. Friends, the gospel, the gospel of what we celebrate, the joy of how we come to Christ is through Jesus' love, mercy, and grace. And mercy and grace is freely given by the God who came, who lived, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, demonstrated that he triumphed over sin and death, and has told us indeed that he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for those whom will what? Believe. Period. I don't know what I can tell you. All I know is that man opened my eyes. You're not good enough because you don't fit our contrived religious mold. And then I love the story. What does Jesus do? He goes to the man born blind and he says simply this. Do you believe? And the man says, yes. I believe. And it's done. And it's finished. And that man who was once cast aside now has sight. But now can see. Sinclair Ferguson says this. When we impose man-made religious, or sorry, when we impose man-made regulation upon ourselves or others and lose sight of our liberty to do or not do those things which Scripture neither commands nor forbids, we destroy the fruit of the Spirit and we cease to grow or allow others to grow. Friends, may we let people grow in love and mercy and grace. Please hear me, I'm not saying may we just let people stay in their sin. Or if we see someone that's struggling in sin, not go to them in love and say, I care about you and I see what's going on and I'm here to try to encourage you. But we also not look at people and kind of take our nose and point the finger at them and say, look at what's going on with them. Because again, I tell you, why are we all here? Because of love, God's love, mercy, and grace. And we love to freely receive mercy and grace. And man, I'll tell you, when I sin, I love to live free in God's mercy and grace. But may I, 
may I freely give mercy and grace to those whom say they've been touched by Christ. Friends, how do we love a neighbor that appears to be on by hope? Again, we allow brokenness to be an opportunity for God to get the glory. We should not allow religion or legalism to blind us to the power of Jesus. We should not allow the fear or expectations of others to rob us from the love of Jesus. We shouldn't allow our religious expectations to grow us to the point that we've casting someone aside because they don't fit our contrived religious mold. And so what do we do? Rather, seek out the lost and hurting neighbor and show them, and this is purposeful, God's mercy and grace. We see in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Now, please hear me on this, okay? Lovingly, I'll tell you, you know, you get thrown out of Faith Bible Church. Uh, there's a church right down the street and up the road and across the street, etc., etc. In this day, for someone to be cast out of the synagogue, they were cast out of the cultural religious entity. They were cast aside to a place of spiritual loneliness, darkness, and no hope. And yet... This man, who couldn't see, had been rejected by all, could now see and began to think, perhaps there is hope for me, because he'd been touched by Jesus, said, nope, sorry, due to a technicality, you're still beyond hope. And what does Jesus do? All of what we've just talked about, all of the things that we said don't allow Right? He says, you know what? I don't care what people think. I don't care what it's going to do to me. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what these religious leaders say. I don't care that the fact that I went to this person and healed him and by me going back to them is leading me to the cross. Because that's my mission. And if it means I have to go to the cross so that that person might have light in their life, then may it be done. Friends, if it means that you have to go to the cross so that someone might have life, then may it be done. Show them the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus. The word show, you can tell, I'm not saying don't, but here's what I want to do with you. Lovingly, I pray that perhaps there is somebody out there that might be that neighbor who's beyond hope, right? I don't necessarily recommend that you immediately go up to them and say, hey, you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and if you're not, you're going to hell. It's true. But maybe what you do, like Jesus, is you go and you show them love, mercy, and grace. You go to them and say, hey, I just want to tell you that you're a valuable person and I care about you. Let's spend some time together. Let me get to know you. Let me love you. Let me just show you, even though maybe I'm going over there and you're rejecting me, I'm going to keep showing up. Can I, can I ask a question? I don't know if there's anybody in here, but if you are, you don't have to raise your hand, but did anybody kind of reject Jesus for a long time, right? And somebody just kept showing up in your life? 
and you kept rejecting and they kept showing up and you're here because of that? Keep showing up. Keep loving the ones who seem to be hopeless. Show them God's mercy and grace. Jesus cuts through this and he said that he had heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, Jesus didn't wait. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, too bad. I'm, I'm busy. I got things to do. You know, I did what I could. Hopefully he'll figure it out. Maybe that'll happen. No, Jesus, what does he do? If he finds him, what does he do to be able to find him? He has to seek him out. He has to go in action to that person and say, I'm going to seek you out. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Still, this man is going, I, I, I don't fully get it, but, but I'm asking. Tell me. Tell me so that I might believe in him. And so he's shown, and this is where he tells. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I wonder what that was like. Again, total speculation, but I wonder what that was like. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. I said earlier, a man who had not seen the sun rise now sees the sun rise. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say and asked, What? Are we blind too? Friends, lovingly, that's the question we must ask of ourselves today. Are we blind too? And friends, if we are, recognize the love, the mercy, and the grace that helps us to see the sun. And may those eyes that are blind spiritually become opened so that we see the sun rise. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. May we remove our guilt if we claim we can see, yet we are blind. Friends, we have a wonderful opportunity in this community, particularly now, to go and love on our neighbors, to go love those that are beyond hope. And if there is someone that you can think of in your life, 
lovingly, I would encourage you to go to them and look at it as an opportunity for God to get the glory. And forget about what you think the church might think or not think. Forget about what it may or may not look like. Forget about what the cultural expectations of our day might put you in or put you out of. And forget about the fact of how you might think that when you and that person walk into this door that you will be looked at with eyes of scorn. I pray that that may never be so. I pray that when that person comes in, we look and we say, all glory to God. That man, that woman was blind. And now they see. Because I was blind. And by God's mercy, love, and grace in my life, now I see. We best love our neighbor who appears to be beyond hope by not allowing contrived religious ideals and legalistic expectations to blind us from the power of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this story. We thank you for its theological principle. We thank you for its theological importance, the fact that indeed Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, that Jesus has the power to relieve people of their sins through his death and resurrection from the grave. Father, we thank you that this is a claim essentially of one of the miracles in the Gospel of John demonstrating Jesus' deity. But also, Father, help us not to miss, as we look at the theological, the practical side of what's going on here, and to enter into the life of the man born blind and wonder, what did he experience? And Father, as we enter into that life, I pray that we would look and ask ourselves, where do we fall in this? Would we be the ones looking at that man and saying that that can't happen, it's not good enough, they can't be a follower of Jesus Christ because of expectations that we've put on our own self-righteousness, because of legalism or because of demands that we think that they need to have before they can be a follower of Jesus? Father, I pray that those chains would be unshackled, that we'd become free from that aspect, and that we would truly give love, mercy, and grace to all whom believe. Father, help us not to pervert that grace. Help us to recognize that indeed when we come to Christ, we are called to change. We are called to be transformed. We are called to move away from our sins toward Jesus. But Father, may we not put expectations on people and look at them through a contrived religious mold. Father, may we go to those who think they are, that they are beyond hope because of what a cultural idea of church might have said or not said to them. And may they recognize that no one, absolutely no one, is beyond the hope of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And no one is beyond the power of his death and resurrection from the grave. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in Christ's name and Christ's name alone. We ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.